following podcast contains coarse language and strong opinions on wine. Seriously, these two have potty mouths and little self-control. Listeners, you've been warned. Live from our basement studios here in suburban Chicago, it's another edition of That Wine Pod. I'm Pete, and sitting across from me, the Shabli Chauffeur, Vino Mike. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Hey, nice. You've welcomed everybody in. I just just start figured that it's a privilege for them to be here. (laughs) It will be soon. (laughs) It will be soon. Oh, man. So we, we hit Italy last time around. We figured we'd just stay in Europe and head on head on over to France. Oh, Italy what do you and think? France. Yes. We could pretty much do... I mean, I'm not sure I need anything but Italy and France. Pretty much. I could just drink that stuff forever. Pretty much. I mean, I do love wine from pretty much everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really fun to, you know, continue to learn, um, continue to, like, keep keep our palates honed and try new wines from all over the world, be very open-minded. But when it comes down to it, you know, there's the great wines of the world and they are great for a reason. And Italy and France are home to a big majority of those. Yeah, I I would agree. And then you get into something like what we're going to talk about today. So Mm -hmm. we're going to go, I mean, obviously my nicknames usually give, give this stuff away, but we're going (laughs) to, We're going to go over to Burgundy, and we're going to go all the way north, right? I'm I'm glad that's where we're going and not to the grocery store on the very bottom shelf where the (laughs) giant glass jug sits called Chablis. Well, we're going to talk about that for sure. I mean, that's definitely part of it, right? So we're we're going all the way north in Burgundy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think you can get more northern in Burgundy than Chablis. Nope, I mean, it's is, it's at the tip. This uh, is it. Yep, just the tip. Yep. So <laughs> this is why we are a adults only show. Yes. Uh, but you know what the problem is here in the United States is that there were these jugs of white wine that they decided to market as Chablis, mm-hmm. and so you would see the Carlo Rossi jug of chablis sitting on on the counter and it wasn't chablis and it gave chablis a a really difficult time to overcome like what was going on when people are usurping those names right yeah and so i think in the 80s that started to wane definitely by the 90s there was like agreements and rules put in place i remember as a kid going out to dinner with my parents and every once in a while a carafe of the house chablis would be brought to the table for dinner for them right yeah like, so it became like, like or the it. half carafe and right it was just this ubiquitous white wine right. sat on the table and they would call it chablis right if it was white it was chablis mm-hmm. right yeah, and so right. they basically uh ruined the name mm-hmm. chablis mm-hmm. for a long time and it was basically like a, it wasn't a brand, but it was like when everybody calls, you know, facial tissue Kleenex or yeah. every copy machine a Xerox mm-hmm. or every search engine Google. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Only like 90%. Uh, 
it, and it became a problem. Like, hold on, I'm going to Google that on Firefox or whatever, or, or <laughs> uh, Safari, or <laughs> Bing. Let me Google that on Bing real quick. Yeah, for sure. So it, it it became a problem, and if it's a problem, yo, I'll solve it. <laughs> Check so, out my Chablis. Why Mikey chugs it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> lost the I lost the lyrics, but the point being that. Chablis is special. Real, real Chablis that we have in our glass and that we're going to talk about. I could chug this, and it really is one of my favorite wines to collect and to drink right. on on like throughout the year. Just basic Chablis, kind of like what we have in the glass today. Mm-hmm. I often will use this wine when somebody tells me I don't like Chardonnay. I will pour something from Chablis. Yeah. And and not to not to prove them wrong. Correct. That's not that's not it. Just to help them see that Chardonnay is not in and of itself buttery, oaky, toasty, vanilla, nutty. It's none of those things. Mm-hmm. Zero of them. It that is all about how it's produced. Yes. The grape itself is typically fairly high acid, refreshing and very complex mm-hmm. and frankly absolutely delicious and typically will be driven with some mineral notes uh, especially depending on the soil that it's grown in but in chablis you're typically going to find like these flinty a lot of people will say gun flint right like just kind of these flinty smoky mineral notes mm-hmm. chalky um, chalky and it makes it so beautiful and special and different and there's nothing wrong with loving buttery oaky Chardonnay, but it's when people tell me they're ABC, anything but Chardonnay, mm-hmm. that I try to just introduce them to just to just say, hey, give it a give it a whirl so you could see that the world of Chardonnay doesn't just live in kind of old school California. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, in this country, especially as you get into wine, you learn about Chardonnay you know, typically via California, you, you know, go out to like Chili's and have a glass of Chardonnay. You're going to get something from California and something that's oaky and fruity, just like you said. So it sort of takes on this branding, almost like the jug wine Chablis, like all of a glass of Chardonnay, like vintage doesn't matter. Producer doesn't right. matter. None of it. It's all out the window. It's just Chardonnay, like Coke or Pepsi. Well, um, and I think you bring up a really good point there. If you're out at a restaurant and you're ordering a bottle or a glass of Chardonnay. If you say, "Yeah, I'm looking for a Chardonnay," and and your server or the wine director or the som, whoever's there, doesn't ask you what style or ask you follow up questions to understand what you're looking for, they're yeah. not doing their job right yeah. at that point. So you need to to start asking those questions, yeah, so that you make sure that you don't get a glass of Rombauer when you're looking for you know, uh, a Grand Cru yeah. from, from Chablis, right? From Chablis, exactly. And I mean, you know, and what you were talking about too, Chardonnay itself, the grape, it's, um, I like to think of it as a like a blank canvas. Yeah. And if you're in California, uh, or let's just talk about the oaky buttery style, then the artist, the winemaker, is going to use techniques in the winery to paint their picture which is going to be with the oak and the ripeness and the fruit then you go over to france in burgundy and in this region chablis the artist is not going to use the winery as much they're using the land 
the the Chardonnay picks up so much complexity from the vineyards that are located here because of the climate and the very specific soil types they have. Now, this is where Burgundy gets fun, though, right? Burgundy is huge. Yes. And we're at the very northern tip, as you mentioned, um, wherein, you know, France is broken into departments, like the United States is states. They have departments, and we're in the Yonne department. Just north of here is Champagne. So we're kind of at this, like, crossroads um, border where the Chardonnay can still get ripe enough to make still wine. You go a little bit further north into Champagne, and now the wine, like, the grapes struggle to get riper. It's a little bit cooler, and that's perfect for sparkling wine for the Champagne. But they have very similar um, soil types where they grow Chardonnay and Champagne and in Chablis. As we go further south into Burgundy, if we start in the north in Chablis and go south, we're going to hit the Cote d'Or, and this is where the most famous Burgundies live. And now you're going to get into a richer, fuller-bodied style. We're going to see a lot more new oak in play in this area, whether it's uh, you know Grand Cru or village level like Poulini Montrachet and Chasson Montrachet and Merceau. These are richer, fatter, bigger Chardonnays. Then you have the Cote Chalonnays, which is a completely different section where I like to think of that as like a really excellent um, treasure chest for value. You can get appellations like Rui, where you're getting excellent bang for your buck, like $20, $25 bottles, where these wines from Merceau and Pouligny Montrachet, those can be 50 or 60 bucks entry level. And then if you get from a Grand Cru vineyard, you're talking about $300, $500, $900 a bottle, like the sky's the limit with the Cote d'Or for Burgundy. And then you go even further south and you hit the Mekon. And we've talked about the Mekon region a little bit on the show, but Chardonnay is grown here as well. And this is the most value-driven area for Chardonnay and Burgundy, in my humble opinion. You get a little bit less oak, but it's warmer climate. We're further south. There's actually a town in the Mekon called Chardonnay, and that's where the the grape takes its name from. So we're really in the heart of Chardonnay land. Um, and if you go a little bit further south of the Mekon, you start getting into Beaujolais. And so that is part of Burgundy as well. But, be, you know, because of the Gamay grape, you can get some Mekon Rouge that's produced from Gamay. You can also get some Mekon red wines produced from Pinot Noir. Um, but the further north we go and into Chablis, now it's completely flipped the script. I don't know the exact numbers, but I'm guessing it's like 90, we'll just say 80-20, 80% white wine in Chablis, 20%. They do have Pinot Noir and some other red varietals. But when a producer of Chablis makes Pinot Noir, they can't call it Chablis. The, the AOC Chablis is reserved strictly for wines produced from 100% Chardonnay, no blending allowed. Um, the AOC encompasses Chablis. A step below that is called Petit Chablis. And the, these are geographical boundaries. So outside of the boundary of regular Chablis, you can find areas called Petit Chablis. You know, maybe they're considered inferior vineyard sites compared to when you get into the heart of Chablis, but it doesn't necessarily mean inferior quality. If you have a quality-minded producer, you can find some excellent petite Chablis that offer as much, if not more, quality than an average producer's regular Chablis. 
Then you go a little bit higher up the hierarchy and we have Chablis Premier Cru. So there's a handful of vineyards, um, maybe 20 something that are the most well known that are that have Premier Cru status. So now on the label, you'll see Chablis and then you'll see the name of a Premier Cru vineyard like um, Forchon or Montmain. Um, trying to think of and those a are kind of like um, umbrella vineyards right because yeah, yeah. then there's specific i think it was almost up to 90 or something yeah they get um you know very specific vineyards but for sham is kind of that umbrella yeah and then there's like more specific like ludite or smaller pieces of land within the vineyard of for um that you can bottle and then the highest AOC is, of course, the Grand Cru. And what's interesting about the Grand Cru in Chablis is that they're they're um, contiguous. They're they're neighbors. They're all right next to each other on this hill with the perfect exposure. It's got the perfect slope. Um, what do they call that? The grade um, of the hill for drainage. Like the best vineyards for Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and Burgundy tend to face a little bit more towards the south. They tend to be on a slope where you have great drainage and where the vines struggle more to get nutrients and water. So they dig deeper into to these soils and you end up with fruit that gives more complexity and um, you know the price for those grapes are very high and so these are classified as Grand Cru vineyards and they kind of overlook the town of Chablis along the um, is it the Seine River that's there I'm trying to remember all this good stuff but yeah um, what I love about that like to your point is you could literally stand back and this is a long time to go without getting into the bottle but Mm -hmm. but anyway the uh we can stand back and literally take a picture of all these vineyards just next to each other. Right next to each other. I mean, yep. it, they're just boom, 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 boom. And there's uh, seven of them. Mm-hmm. And then there's this there's this one hill that's in between two of the vineyards, this one little hill that's not technically a Grand Cru vineyard, but kind of gets thrown in there. Yeah. Um, La Mouton? La Mouton. And then, uh, you know, so I think for Which me- Which I think is a monopoly. Oh, I think it's one producer that makes that interesting. I knew all this stuff, you know, way back in the day. But hey, this pod is all about like just talking, flipping the mics yeah, on yeah. off the cuff. We wanted to talk about Chablis, but yeah, there's there's the seven Grand Cru, um, Les Clos, Les Prousses, Grand Oui. Um, I mean, I probably can't even name them all right now um, today. But yeah, there's that really interesting one, La Mouton, and then what's really cool is a little bit further to the south sort of around the bend is a premier crew called Monte de Tonnerre Mm -hmm. but that mofo is grand crew quality oh yeah so whenever I go to buy good Chablis I'll look for Monte de Tonnerre you're typically going to pay a little bit less than the grand crew pricing which from standard producers like someone like William Fev I'm guessing like his Lake Clos is 80, 90 bucks. Yeah, somewhere in there. Somewhere in there where like Monte de Tenere might be, you might be able to get one of those in the 40s yeah. or 50s. Um, and they age, they age very, very well. And, and you know, Monte de Tenere will express as much um, as the Grand Cru vineyards will in the wines from yeah. a good producer. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that this is all like, it, again, we've talked about it a little bit last episode we've talked about it many times Mm -hmm. there's complexity just in terms of understanding the place Mm -hmm. and what you're getting but that doesn't mean that that's where you need to start yeah 
So what we did is we pulled a bottle where you can start with yeah. this stuff. We got basic. We got <laughs> yeah, basic. <laughs> we're busting um, a bunch of basic betches. So you just you were in Trader Joe's. Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um it's true. <laughs> and uh man, they got some really good frozen appetizers, by the way. But every time we go and pick some things up, I always cruise through the wine. I can't get past the, <laughs> those chocolate chip cookies, those Dunkaroo things. Oh, my gosh. There's so much good stuff in there, really. Um, but the wine department is always fun to, you know, kind of cruise through. And I'll, you know, I'll pick up a bottle of these Trader Joe's exclusive wines just so we can check them out and see see what they're all about. You might find some great value here and there. Sometimes, you know, you swing and miss. There's some kind of plunk crap. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about the TJ exclusive stuff. Like they have some brand name things too that other stores sell. But what we have in our glass today is just brought in for, for Trader Joe's. And it's a bottle of Chablis. It is Chablis AOC, 100% Chardonnay. Um, they say on the back of the label that it is from a single vineyard with 30-year-old vines. And we haven't talked about this, on Kimmeridgian limestone uh, soils. And that is the, the soil of Chablis, Kimmeridgian limestone. It actually extends into the Loire Valley in Puy Fume and Sancerre, especially Puy Fume which is Sauvignon Blanc is grown on these same soils as Chablis. And it can be very difficult blind tasting. If you have like a Puy Fume and a Chablis in the same flight, that, that could be just brutal. Oh yeah. Even though it's Sauvignon Blanc versus Chardonnay, it sounds really easy, but it's not at all. And with Chablis, because of these Kimmeridgean soils, this white chalk that you find in the vineyards, the winemakers and the cool climate, because these are leaner and more acid-driven Chardonnay grapes than down in the Mekong, the winemakers tend to use little to no oak for aging these wines because they don't want the oak to mask what the vineyards give them for flavor and complexity. Um, but yeah, here we are apparently drinking a single vineyard. I say apparently because they say on the back from a single vineyard. There's no definition to what that means. Though. Right, right. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and I think that it's interesting too because it's, Kimmeridgian, so it's yeah, it, it's got limestone, yep, which and, drives and, the acid, and and it's got a little bit of clay mm-hmm. in that soil, and then the fossilized oyster shells, yeah, which is where that minerality really starts digging in, and sometimes I think you even get some of that um, kind of salinity, yes, in these wines, and my guess is that's, that's what I love about them is is where it's it's coming from, versus when you were talking about the petite uh, Chablis. It's a slightly different soil. It's a younger soil that those are grown in. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the name. On the name of it. Yeah, but, I, I'm with you too. Oh, it's um, uh, it's the same as the show, Portlandia. Portlandian. Yes, nice. Good job, man. <laughs> um, right on. Portlandian soil. I think you have a better chance at uh, passing a court of Master Sommier's exam right now than I do. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Good good call. Um, but it, was only, it was only because of the, the show Portlandia because I remember that. <laughs> awesome. Because that's how I remembered it before. Um, but, I mean, you get it, – it is a different soil. So it is a slightly different expression of the grape because of that. And just my first sip of this one, and I'm, like, in love with a Trader Joe's 
twelve ninety nine. Right on, exactly. Wine, which is why I picked these up. Chablis for twelve ninety nine is unheard of. You can get excellent Chablis from great producers for twenty bucks. Now, when we say Chablis, we're talking Chablis. That's the AOC, not Chablis Premier Cru. Different category, different price. Chablis Grand Cru, same thing. Expensive, different category. Chablis, twelve ninety nine. You know, it's definitely a crapshoot, but. I'm with you. Like I've been nosing this and it's got that, um, that flintiness you're talking about, the minerality. Um, there's a little bit of ripeness from the fruit though, mm-hmm. too, like a Absolutely. little pear, some orchard fruit coming out. Yeah. And on the palate, it's got some nice lemon and, and citrus is a big component yeah. here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's beautiful, but it, it also comes from a very good producer. So this is actually made by the Brocard family. Mm. Uh, so this wine wasn't Jean always Marc. Jean-Marc Brocard. Jean-Marc Brocard. It wasn't always a Trader Joe's exclusive. Okay. It was actually Domaine's Brocard or Family Brocard mm-hmm. Saint um, Celine. That's what this is. So we're drinking the 2018 Saint Celine. Um, Saint Celine Dion. No. Yes. Saint exactly. Celine named, named after. <laughs> uh, 2018. And uh, so it wasn't always a Trader Joe's thing. This was a wine that was made by Family Brocard. Uh, at, in some way, shape, or form. So Jean-Marc Brocard founded that winery, you know, years ago and has since turned it over, more or less. I mean, he's still involved, I mm-hmm. believe, but turned it over to his son, Julian. Okay. Um, who is really into, you know, he got an engineering degree and then kind of took that and got into wine. I had a awesome experience a number of years back where, you know, I was you know, hired to pour at a Chablis tasting here in Chicago. Beautiful. And no, I don't want to do that. And this was a, this was quite, quite a while ago, but, um, at the end of the tasting, the people that held it told the people working to just take the bottles home with them. Beautiful. Right. So, you know, this wasn't like being sneaky or anything. They're like, Hey, there's a bunch of sample bottles from the event. We can't use them. We can't sell them. Thanks for your help. You guys take them home. I left with like a case of Chablis Damn. of different regular, um, some premier crews, a couple grand crews in there, different producers, Jean-Marc, Jean-Marc Brocard being one of them. Um, since then there's really strict tight rules on this kind of stuff. Like it used to be more of the wild west and who gives a shit. But now at these big, um, industry sponsored, um, events, they're really tight with the samples and they collect them after and all that and it sucks. But cause that was a nice perk. Right. But, um, I, I got to, you know, I might even have a bottle or two in the cellar still, but my point is, dude, I've, got to experience some of these Chablis producers and bottlings, which that case of wine would have cost me, you know, just hundreds of dollars, which I didn't have, you know, in my like late twenties here to right. go blow on, on a case of Chablis, a bottle. Sure. You know, like I was definitely buying wines and, and enjoying, but uh, it was a cool experience. And I put them in my, my wine locker and just got to learn a lot about how these things age. And, you know, like they, they, age really really well you know like (laughs) like a premier cru chablis 10 about 10 years old is excellent but i guess my whole point and you know this is that i had a few jean-marc brocard bottles that blew me away this is a really great producer yeah it is i mean so i mean to to give you an idea jean-marc brocard makes uh wine from all seven of the ground crews cool um also makes uh i don't know probably it le- probably most or at least half of the premier crews would be 
my my gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had several of them over the years. Um, been yeah. lucky enough to have the Forcham and the Monte de Tenere and mm-hmm. um, the Montmartre. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's just beautiful wines, right? But what I've always loved about the Brocard House is that their entry level, if you will, their Chablis, their Petit Chablis. Um, they have one called St. Clair, which reminds me a lot of this. I'm wondering if they didn't just change the name. The name a little bit. Uh, a little bit from St. Clair to St. Celine because it's a very, very similar wine. What's that show? Like um, only the names have been changed yeah. to protect the law and order. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and then they make like a Chat, uh, a Chablis uh, old vines, a Villavigne. Yeah. Um, so top notch producer. This is, we've talked about this in our Costco show, right? Yeah. Where you can find like a honey hole in, in the wine section of a Trader Joe's when you understand and you kind of know what to look for on bottles. This one doesn't look exactly like Jean-Marc Brocard, but the color scheme is the same. The color scheme is the same. Um, it's, it's like this green, well, we'll have a picture on social media, but. It's it's this unique green that is part of the Jean Marc Brocard bottlings as well, right? And then I'm, I, you know, I would look at this and go to Latitude Wine and and check out like what they're doing. That's yeah. what's on the back, right? LatitudeWine.com. I would check out what's happening yeah. with it. Pull out your supercomputer out of your pocket, and uh, right. you can find out a bunch of information in uh, in two seconds. But the good news is, and no matter what, to it was twelve ninety nine, and it said Chablis. There's rules around this. It had to be Chablis from Burgundy to say Chablis on the label. Yeah. So it's a you know it's a hundred percent Chardonnay from that region. They can't say it otherwise. I mean, there would be big repercussions for that, and and a scan. It would be a huge scandal not only for that winery and whoever was making it, whoever imported it, for Trader Joe's themselves. They're not going to go down that road, right? Mm-hmm. So you knew you were getting something quality. The level of that quality was going to vary. Yeah. But I got to say, if I paid 20 bucks personally, if I paid 20 bucks for this, I'd be pretty darn happy. Yeah. So yeah, this, for, this does taste like Chablis and Chablis just equates to $20 entry level price. Right. Um, it, there, there is no nine ninety nine bottles unless, uh, you know, you're talking about an awesome closeout deal from a small distributor or something. There's some lookalike Chablis, um, that are not called Chablis. They're labeled as Bourgogne, which you can find. There's some really cool value. Um, again, this is the confusion of Burgundy where you can find at your bottle shop, you can have three Bourgogne Appalachian Chardonnays on a shelf one, the producer, it's coming from Chablis. The other, it might be coming from the Macon, which they would probably call it Macon, not Bourgogne. But, you know, the other could be more around the Cote d'Or, like the Cote de Bone and that area where it has a little bit more richness and maybe some oak. Um, but you can find some Bourgogne from Chablis producers that are just growing Chardonnay outside of these geographical boundaries that have to label it Bourgogne, but have all the character of Chablis that can be like nine ninety nine on the shelf. You're, you're you're probably not going to find that at a grocery store, um, like a regular chain grocery store. I think like what Trader Joe's does and what Costco does, you have a good chance of finding some cool value wines right. when it comes to these um, more premier names and premier appellations right. like Chablis or like Sancerre or Champagne, right. something like that. Well, one of the things that Costco has done is they've put the producers on 
oftentimes they put the producer right on like their on the back, right? right on the back. They haven't done that here. And my guess is that there's a name separation that Brocard wants. But the, the reason I know it's Brocard is because Brocard made this wine in the past. I just found past vintages. Mm-hmm. And the Brocard name was right on it. And then there's Julian Brocard describing the wine. Boom. So I'm like, okay, well, this is Brocard, right? Yeah. It didn't take a lot of Googling to figure that to out. To figure that out. Yeah. Honestly, or when, when we flipped the mics on, I didn't know any of this, dude. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, we've we've just been like... Yeah, I mean, I took two minutes before. I mean, our prep time yeah. is somewhere between 30 seconds and seven minutes for most episodes. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, we really are just talking. Yeah. And having fun and, and drinking wine with you. If we can bring you some, some tidbits, we want to, right? And that's yeah what I was able to find in pretty short order by doing just a little bit of of searching online and why I think it's important is to know that, okay, are there shitty Shebley producers? They, they're probably are. Yeah. I haven't found them. Yeah. I because think, my guess is they don't get exported. Yeah. And I really think this is a region that does have very high quality across the board and it's hard to go wrong with like, are there shitty Chianti producers? Sure. Yeah. But, but if you buy a bottle of Chianti, you're likely going to get something that is at least drinkable and not going to make you want to pour it down the sink. Right. Um, Which we've all had those types of wines where you actually just can't drink it. And I think when buying Chablis from Burgundy, look for that Appalachian Chablis Controlet under the name from Burgundy. You're getting the authentic stuff. It's going to be a pretty decent bottle of wine. I didn't have high hopes for this wine from Trader Joe's. Me either. I didn't know what to expect really, but it is actually very good. And I would definitely buy another couple bottles just to have in the fridge around the house. Cause like I said, we love drinking Chablis, that leanness, that minerality. It's the style of wine that we like a lot. Um, you know, we're not shucking oysters at home all the time. I don't think my, you know, Aaron, do you like oysters? Let me know. Um, I don't think she does as much as I do. I love them, but this is a classic, classic pairing with oysters, but you know, shrimp cocktail, like cold shellfish, um, seafood. So um, we're having a seafood tower. Is what you're saying. <laughs> seafood tower and Chablis is perfect. Absolutely. Um, but what else? Like, you know, we'll have it just with like a light pasta with some poultry or seafood pastas. Yeah. Um, it's very versatile. It can kind of go with everything because you get some fatness and weight, especially when you do. If you tasted a regular Chablis versus a Premier Cru Chablis, you'll notice a definite increase in the body and weight of that Premier Cru. There are they are Premier Cru vineyards for a reason, and they are more expensive for a reason because there's not as much of them produced, and they kind of hang out geographically around the Grand Cru vineyards. Yeah. It's not like this is a super large, They're like large first area. cousins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, <laughs> right on. Not, not distant relatives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that the part of this wine that I'm uh, shocked by is the length. It is really a long, long finish, with that beautiful chalky minerality just coming out more and more as the wine. Because I we didn't have it too cold to start with. I, I was careful about that. Yeah. Um, but it as it warms up just a little bit, which is to me, it's about the perfect temperature. Uh, to drink right about now. I like more cellar temperature, 55-ish degrees yeah. on this. Yeah. And it's really, really coming out. Like, I took a sip, I don't know, several minutes ago now, mm-hmm. and it's still lingering. And and there is a little bit of viscosity there, just a little bit. But overall, it's clean and crisp and minerality just boom. But the fruit is there. It's not, 
and it's not lean in terms uh like it's it's lean and crisp but it's not lean in terms of thin or like hey that that wine disappears or it's short no not at all it's still chardonnay it's still chardonnay yeah it still has some body to it and that's a really good point about the temperature and i agree with you wholeheartedly especially about chablis because you want to experience you know it's it's like tasting the region i mean i think in exercise in terroir like chablis is one of the best wines to use to understand how a wine can taste like where it comes from right um and having it a little bit more cellar temperature a little warmer than your traditional white wine is going to bring that out more if you drink them too cold you're going to miss out on that yeah now i want to break so i i've got oyster gloves and (laughs) and uh do you have oysters upstairs right now i don't I know. Now I got to go get some more oysters and clams and start shucking. Yeah. <laughs> it really is a testament to how little we plan. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> you know, it's like we know, I know we'd have this ready. Let's like, do a Chablis show. We should <laughs> should have got the oysters and uh, and everything to to treat ourselves, but that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. But I, I mean, it's a fun region that we kind of wanted to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we haven't. Look, we could spend an entire year talking about Burgundy only. Yeah, it's a mini series. We did an episode called A Bit of Burgundy where we tasted a Pinot Noir. You can go revisit that. Or if you haven't listened to it, if you're newer to the show, thank you. Welcome. And go back and check out that. We we touch on this subject, but it's not a single episode to do Burgundy. It's going to be, we'll come back to it again with different wines from different regions. But I think one thing to say is the hierarchy that we talked about with these Premier Cru and Grand Cru, that kind of holds true in a lot of Burgundy, except when you get down into the Mekon. Then then it's not so much Premier Cru vineyard, but it's more like villages that have a little higher level of superiority and they get to put their name of the village on the label. Um, but then you get into Beaujolais and it sort of does become more, it's not Premier and Grand Cru, but you can get Cru Beaujolais versus Beaujolais Village, which is more um, different part of the region. So a lot, there's a lot of parallels from well, what we, we talked that, about today that apply to the other regions. But yeah. There's we, definitely more to get and into. And we did that Bojo show too. So Oh, the Bojo show. Yeah. So you can go yeah. check that out mm-hmm. too. I mean, we've already, you know, hit, hit Burgundy like three, at least three times. At least three. You know, and it's not... We've barely chipped off, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit of it. So, um, but yeah, it's complex. It's complex. I think you know, as the audience grows, uh, maybe we get some sponsorships and we can finally do like a Burgundy episode with Richborg <laughs> in Burgundy. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. Can you please? Need a... We want people to listen so that we can find sponsors to fund our vacations. <laughs> yeah. That's really what we're saying. We're gonna need like I don't know Amazon or something, <laughs> right? But if there's anything you want to hear about, like if there's a a region or even a specific wine that you've been wondering about. I mean, we've had wonderful feedback on people learning about Dave Finney and the story of the prisoner. Yeah. Um, A lot of great feedback from uh, recently with um, Trust Getting, uh, you know, where we brought somebody else on, which doesn't happen often. You know, it's usually just me and Vino Mike, but we'll bring people on here or there. Uh, But what we're here to do is just, you know, educate and entertain. Yeah. And education is going to have to be good because my entertainment value is low. (laughs) And dude, I got to say, for those that may not know yet, we actually have a new way to get in touch with us. We finally oh, wow. have a website, Pete. Oh wow, look at that! Um, and uh, but we'll put on a link there, in the show notes. Yeah, we can put a link in the show notes. And but on there is because uh, we're we're very active on social. Um, that wine pod is very active, so you can always reach out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, 
Uh, you can email us. We've been talking about this, but the website makes it nice and easy. Everything is like in one spot and there's a little contact form and it's there for a reason. We have it up there for you to actually talk with us and drop a comment. And if there's a an idea for a show like Pete mentioned or just, you know, any questions you have, please reach out. We're going to read everything and we're going to get back to you. Perfect. Well, that sounds awesome, man. Well, nice episode and always fun. I'm never going to turn down drinking Chablis. Yeah, I'm glad we found the uh, the Trader Joe's wine to do because um, that that lead that led to some other interesting conversation about it. And I I definitely endorse this bottling. This is a yeah. nice one. Yeah, they did a good job. All right, everybody. Remember, life is short. Drink what you like tonight. Thank you for listening to That Wine Pod. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at at That Wine Pod. And we are That Wine Podcast on Facebook. Also, check out Mike on Instagram, at Vino Mike, and Pete is at Fat Man Stories. Please subscribe to That Wine Pod on your favorite podcast app and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. The music is Proto Funk by Kevin McLeod. That Wine Pod is a production of Paragon Media. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,